What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Good Trouble Podcast. We're having curated conversation uh, for racial and economic justice here in the Commonwealth. My name is Reggie Williams. I'm the Director of Communications at Mass Budget. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Mr. Gregory Ball. Hey, how are you doing? Um, my name is Greg Ball, and I am the Director for Embrace Ideas at King Boston. And today we have a very special guest. This is an artist who I've known um, a great great deal of time. I've been friends with him for a long, long time, and I've watched him grow. And he is also one of the artists who has contributed to our One Night in Boston film um, this year for King Boston that um, broadcast on on NBC and did an incredible version of uh, a new song that's coming from one of his upcoming projects. So we're going to talk to him about that, talk to him about the difficulties of being a, a artist in the Commonwealth and and the challenges that he faces. Uh, and what else is there that we should know about this man? Well, we'll get into all that. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Amandi Music. What's going on, y'all? Thank you for having me. It's truly an honor. Um, and I'm blessed to be able to have this conversation and say that I actually did a few things and uh, I got some purpose in me, I guess. But <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have the conversation. And thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, Amandi. Yeah, go ahead. You can jump off already. I'm, I'll jump in. Amandi, you know, I'd love to give the listeners a sense of your background, uh, your disciplines as an artist and your journey. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your creation and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Uh, I feel like my start in music is pretty traditional in the sense of, uh, you know, I'm probably around seven or eight years old. I started singing in church. <clears throat> Both my parents are ministers. Um, I grew up in the, you know, Christian Pentecostal church, and I did that until I figured out that there was something else that I could do with it um, besides that. So very traditional in the sense of um, I come from a, a very spiritual background, and church is where I got the foundation of everything I know in music. Uh, both my parents are um, also singers. Uh, my dad used to sing in groups back in the day. I see the pictures with him with the, the tight suits on and all that, you know, the, the froze and all that. And he was like the lead singer with the mic. So I was like, I kind of, I feel like it, I was born into it. <clears throat> my mom, she, she's always been a, you know, Diana Ross, you know, Patti LaBelle type, and she's going to sing that same way. So um, I definitely got it from them. Um, the older I got, um, I realized that I had more of a passion for writing. Um, and when I was about 15, uh, 14 years old, I was a freshman. I was going to uh, Mission High. Shout out to everybody from Roxbury. Uh, I was at Mission High. They opened up and we, I was with a group of guys. They were all rappers. And I was just the one kid that could sing in high school, uh, in my school. So um, I started writing my first song. Um, and uh, my first song was written to a jazz piece by Najee. Um, and it was just funny. I just put words over it. And I realized, you know, that was the foundation of how I would write all my music. I would hear someone's one interpretation of what they were doing. And I always heard something different um, on top of it. I felt like I could maybe add something to it or it would, um, you know, it really uh, just got me into my, the flow of just creating or adding to art. Um, and I realized I really just had a, a passion for creating music and writing. Um, let's see, that's, that's like my late teenage years. Once I got into my twenties and I, you know, I, I got into like being a dad, I had, you know, I had a son and a daughter and my focus kind of shifted. Um, you know, it maybe may like my mid twenties, I had a conversation, uh, with, with, with Joey, uh, Joe politics, my manager, shout out Polly Moore. 
and everybody there, uh, we had a conversation about my desires to want to get into the music industry and become a songwriter. Um, I never had a desire at the time to be an artist or to like, I don't want to put music out. I just want to write songs and put them on different artists. Um, but I think it was more of a lack of confidence than uh, understanding who I truly was. And I just said, well, maybe this is a lane I can fit into. I'm going to songwrite. Um, and we did that for about 10 or 15 years um, in the industry and just that really being the focus um, just building myself, um, not letting any genre stop me from submitting songs or whatever the case may be. I just allow all my influences to allow me to, uh, to stretch myself to be the, the best songwriter I could be. Um, meanwhile, the whole time, it was really molding me uh, to have a better understanding of who I was as an artist. And um, I think that's the one thing I say about myself now <clears throat> is that I never want to be known as a singer or a songwriter. Uh, I'm an artist. Um, if I decide to wake up one morning and I, you know, do something out of the, you know, that's not expected musically uh, from whatever, you know, box people want to put you in because they're like, oh, Marty, he's a great singer or he's a whatever. No, I'm an artist and my job is to create. And um, that's where, that's really where I'm at now when it comes to the music. I'm just really uh, into just taking whatever inspires me uh, and putting that on the canvas and creating some art and musically is coming out uh, to what I'm doing right now. And when you, when you talk about, you know, that, that, that trajectory from going from, from singing and songwriting and, and then becoming an artist, you know, what are some of the difficulties that you have faced coming from Boston? Because, you know, while Boston definitely has a great art scene and it, and we've, mm -hmm. we've had artists who have, have broken through and been become mega stars, at the same time, I, I can imagine that it's been difficult for you as an artist coming up in the, in Boston. Absolutely. And I think it's because the opportunities and the spaces seem very scarce um, for the artists. And when I say that, it, it, it's going to piggyback on the statement I just made. I feel like in the city, artists are looked at as kind of like background noise, especially from the R&B scene. Any venue that normally has, you know, you know, some live music or there, it's secondary to whatever the main thing is, whether it's dining and then they have music in the background. But where are the venues that really aren't using the artists as like karaoke singers or hosts for your night? Where, where is it where the artist is curated? It's for the artist and people can really focus on that. I feel like that's the one of the biggest issues um, with being here is that we don't have things that are more artist focused. And the artists are just used as entertainment. We're just used to kind of like, well, come because this is here. And, and we're in the background and the focus is never really on the artist. And a lot of that, I feel like, is because the, the artists aren't curating it. We're leaving it up to the party promoters and everything. And they're going to do their job, which is to get people in there. But if you really want something that's for you that can really show what you do, you know, I know a lot of great artists in Boston that aren't recognized for their artistry. They're just no, they're just recognized for the fact that they sing. And I don't think that's a fair representation, which makes it even harder for you to say, I'm coming out of Boston. Everybody sings top 40. That's very popular, whether it's social media, wherever it is. So yes, you can, but does that really show who you are, are as an artist? It really doesn't. It just shows that you can sing. 
and there's so much more to it. So I feel like the music, it, like the scene gets stagnant and then there's really no desire to push artists because the artists aren't doing anything. We're just singing top 40. So it's almost like live radio. We have to start to make events and things that happen in the city that are saying, this is going on for this artist specifically. You should come out and watch this, this curation, watch this show and this production and start to look at it as art. And this is the focus and not, oh, I'm going to go in a room with a bunch of people I know, politic, and then in the background noise is going to be, oh, I heard so-and-so, you know. I think we need more of that in the city. And, and I think it's on the artist to do it, to start to really step into that role of, you know, why don't you book the venue? Why don't you set up the market? Why don't you go out there and you get your friends and, and curate show that you think people want to hear and draw that crowd, you know, uh, because the, the promoters and everything, you know, they look at it, but they're not going to see it the way the artists see it. So I feel like the responsibility is on us. It's interesting. You talk a little bit about the politics of the industry. You know, hmm. I, I know that you've worked with folks like B. Cox and FWB and Next. Hmm. What is it like having to, on a local level as an artist, really develop your talent while also looking to reach a larger audience? And also, what hmm. is the other side of that exchange, working with national, international figures and trying to bring in that local context? Yeah, um, it's it's extremely difficult when, you know, outside of the local area, the respect for the artists here is really not there. So, you know, my, one of my first, you know, you know, you bring up uh, B. Cox and, you know, we're over at, you know, I think it's Doppler Studios uh, when Joey sent me out to Atlanta to work with uh, Mood Swing and Gary and Kalina. These are all people that ended up signing a Diddy and Kalina was part of Dirty Money and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm out there. And when you walk in the studio and you're from Boston and then you can create something away from, I so said, I'm from Boston. So what's going on in Boston? Like, where'd you come from? And, you know, and it's, um, I feel like the diff, well, my advantage at the time was that I noticed that all of my friends musically from Boston would move to these places when they would go out of state and see that the scene was better than the one here. It felt like, okay, there's so much more going on over here. I mean, if you're from Boston, you know, everybody moves from Boston to Atlanta. So Atlanta is kind of like Boston now at this point. Like, I think everybody from here is in Atlanta. But, you know, I was the one guy that said, I'm not moving out here. I'm going to stay home. And when you need the Boston sound, when you need that guy, that's going to, you know, he has the ability, like he's got a pop sound because Boston clearly has some influence that Atlanta doesn't. But Boston's so hip hop and you don't understand the scene of hip hop here that you can't fathom how I can go to Atlanta pick up Dirty South, but I'm bringing you hip hop and I'm bringing you traditional, like new edition on top. And you're like, how does dude give me this crossover record? And it's not, and you remain special because you stay home. You know, I feel like a lot of artists, they just move. I'm going to move. I'm going to go represent. And I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And there's so many people in this industry from Boston that don't represent the city because there's, we won't for some reason we won't form Voltron. I, I don't understand why like all the greats in Boston won't just come on guys. And honestly, that's really my goal right now. Um, not off topic, but you know, the last four to five years, I haven't really been active in the music community. I, you know, went on a complete hiatus from things. And after COVID, you know, and watching things and seeing the scene and I'm like, you know, if this is a rebirth of what is supposed to happen musically or what's going on in the world, 
I feel like it's my responsibility and the ownership is on me as an artist and as a creator. And for somebody who's been doing music from Roxbury in the city for over 20 years, it's my responsibility to create the environment that I want. And I feel like the city with the, rec the recognition the city should have. Um, I'm putting everybody together. I, I watch, I listen, I'm a fan of music and I see the people in the city who should have more of a light on them than they do. And I see the ones that do have the light. And if you do have light, it's my job to make sure that that light is a little brighter because it shouldn't just be on you because you're singing. It should be on you because you're an individual and you're special and not just the city of Boston should be watching you, but Rhode Island should be watching you and Connecticut in New York, and we should start to really start to build this, you know, this vibe around the city. And they're not surprised when you show up and you turn in some material that, you know, is of, you know, industry standard. You know, I think that's the that's a big difficulty about the fact that music is very regional. You know, you get respect based on kind of where you're from. Everywhere has a, a sound and a style. And um, I believe our city has one, too. You know, our city definitely has a sound. We have a style and we're definitely on the map. The state of Massachusetts is definitely on the map. You know, shout out to everybody doing their thing, on, you know, on, on a major scale. But there's definitely some more independent artists here that um, are doing some some good things. And I want to see them do great things because we have to build a culture here. We have to build a culture that everywhere else knows that we don't have to leave. And we can actually, you know, have something in the city where people come from out of town and go, oh, I want to hear some live music. Where am I going? Not to go eat into it. No, I want to see a production. I want to see where can I go? Where it's just that, where all the musicians go and all the singers go and all. The, and I go there and it, all night they're swapping on and off. Why can't we have that here? We got Berkeley here. We have everything here musically. So it doesn't make sense why these things aren't in play. And um, that's what, you know, that's one of my, one of my major goals. Uh, for coming back to music and, and representing the city. I want to create an environment of artistry here. It's really powerful. You know, as we think about uh, arts as a, as a cross-sector initiative, you know, thinking about how to activate greater Boston, you know, when you come, when you come out for shows, I'm thinking about like the House of Blues and then even trying to get mm -hmm. out to, you know, like the, the Comcast Center in Mansfield or, you know, folks trying to play all the way out in Gillette. It's like, you know, how do we also activate other parts of the state so that artists, you know, whether I'm thinking of like a Ruthie Carter, you know, from Springfield, who was the mm. uh, Oscar award-winning designer right. of Black Panther, or, you know, other artists, as you mentioned, in Rhode Island or Connecticut, and mm. maybe Vermont or Maine has some, you know, right. New England as a branch. Like, how are we actually getting, changing the paradigm and changing mm. the narrative about what the communities, the arts community looks like? Because when, mm. when you go to New York, <laughs> New York holds a lot of weight, <laughs> you know, like you can't step in the room from Boston or from Massachusetts and expect folks to, to treat and receive you the same way, despite having all these resources here. You bring up such a great point, Mondi. Right. And, it, it, you know, and I really think it's because if you go to New York and you go to here, it feels like the artists are priority. It doesn't feel like, oh, this artist is just coming in here and, oh, can you, you know, yes, we have the, you know, the train station, you know, setups and we have the, you know, kind of background music uh, type vibes, but you can go into, uh, you know, into a basement club and it's just the artist and you, it's, that's what it's all about. That's what it's for. And it feels like that. It feels like you're coming to something. You, it's not here. I, I don't see it. And I, you know, granted, 
I, maybe I'm not out, but I'm watching. And I, you know, I remember at one point where the city was starting to build that, you know, you know, I want to say about seven, eight years ago, um, you know, we were doing events with, you know, Justin Springer and, you know, other, you know, tastemakers in the city and, you know, us, me with Elevation Theory and the bands, it was like, there were different bands that would play together. And these, you know, we had Hard Rock Cafe where you would go and you would hear stuff. You'd had Church Boston where it was just music. It was just artists, you know, you know, where's the Motivate Mondays at with Mark Marin and things like that, where artists every Monday felt like I have somewhere to go where I can get on the bill and I can perform. And it, it really be not just, you know, like I said, a karaoke feel or a type thing, but like, no, I love what Mark did, but he's, Mark's an artist. He's not just a rapper. He's not just a DJ. Mark Marin is an artist. And, you know, I respect the way that he sees things and the way that he's moved over the years in the city. And he's done this. I met Mark when I was a freshman in high school and he was a rap, and he was in a rap group with Clinton Sparks. You know, Clinton Sparks was managing him. And I thought he was the coolest thing ever in high school. And I was afraid to sing at the time. Like I was just starting. And I, I'm like, man, we look back and it's like 25 years later, you know, we're still like knee deep in the thick of, you know, holding the, the the helm of the city and representing at the highest level on whether it's him doing podcasts, whether it's, you know, me doing events uh, at the MFA or doing a national anthem last week for the Red Sox Yankees game. It's um, it feels good to represent the city, you know, and, and do things the right way. So I'm excited. And I definitely agree with what you said. So I, I question when I hear you talk about the struggles of, of you as an artist and just the, how it relates to the scene, you know, one of the, the conversations that Reggie and I really, really uh, find ourselves in, we talk about what could the city or the institutions of the of the city, like the like the artistic institutions, the actual government itself, what could we do be doing better to support artists? What do you think? Prioritizing them. You know what I mean? Like artists, a lot of times get treated like tools. When I need you, I pick you up and I use you, and then I put you back when I don't. And when artists feel like that, you know, a lot of the times you got to think about it. The money's not circulating everything. So if I'm creating and I don't have the ability to really show that I'm only probably doing the events because I need the money. And if you feel like something you could just be paid off for, then it's not about that. Like, you know, when the institutions think about doing these events and they're like, I, I love the one night in Boston, the whole thought behind it. It was the most beautiful thing that I could ever be a part of, but even just to watch because it showcased the artists, it really put them on a pedestal on a platform where they couldn't reach on their own. And that's the support that we need. We need to be projected. We don't need to be a part of, you know, the background noise and, and you know, part of the, you know, the color in the room. No, the artists need to be, lifted up and projected. And, and I definitely love the way it, it happened with One Night in Boston and, and with King Boston. It was just so beautiful because it represented the artist. Um, we just need to have more of that, um, where the artist is priority, where these institutions sit down and talk with the artist and go, what is your goal? What are you trying to do? What, where, you know, how can this event further you in the direction you're going and not just what we want to do for you, but we want to put the spotlight on where you're trying to go so that you can make it out of here and go to the next level and represent the city and create that environment that we're talking about. That's the best thing. I, I feel like just being priority. Nobody wants to feel second, especially 
especially when, you know, as artists, you don't know what it takes to create. You don't know what that artist has gone through just to have this body of work or to have something to, that represents them. And it's, it's, if it matters to them, it should matter to, you know, the people, the people that want to put them on display. I was going to say something you also said, Amandi, about, you know, what the past decade was like, you know, here in Boston with the scene. I'm curious, really, what, it, what if you could extrapolate a little bit on what, what, what is missing from this current moment that was more present then and how can we kind of bridge those gaps? I know that from a lot of different perspectives, there were a lot of cuts to like, like arts and culture funding, yeah. you know, the Trump yeah. administration. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, the transition from President Obama to the Trump administration now to the Biden administration was really a, a cultural moment that impacted us in a lot of mental, yeah. spiritual and physical ways. I'm curious just to see how we can get towards, get that old thing back in a sense. You know, how can we create that culture, yeah. that vibe in that space again? You know, um, I think about it and, you know, one, I'll use, you know, one event like Boston Renaissance that used to happen at Weston Johnny's down by the garden. It was something that was always there on a Monday night. Right. And you knew as an artist, whether you had a new song, whether somebody had was had an album release or something coming out, you knew that you had, that was there. And without fail, every Monday night, I, or every Thursday night, I was going to end up here because this was my space. I just don't feel like we have any place to go as artists that, you know, I'm just looking for more space, you know, more space for that's consistent. That's not like, oh, you can see me one day, one month here and then, oh, come out to everything is so spaced up. Nothing's really centralized for the community. And I feel like that community feel is missing. Um, the, the, the supports are just not, and like you said, I don't know if it's because it's the lack of space and because of the, you know, the funding for what can really be done and who can really afford to even do it. But I think there just needs to be more venues and more spaces available for the artists and, and not just to, not just in a, in a party aspect, but for arts, you know, for the performance piece of it, it's performing arts. And I just, you know, think as the more we could showcase and kind of highlight that, the scene will kind of heal itself. It'll go back to the way it was before, where you're getting, you know, different events and different things curated by these different artists. And, you know, the, you know, the, uh, you know, like artists and painter sides is, is starting to collaborate with the performing arts and the music, and the musical side. And it feels cohesive. Everything is starting to blend together. Everything right now is, you know, spread out in little specks and spaces and, I want to do open mic. I'm going to go to the jungle in Somerville. But then if I want to do this, I'm going to go all the way to Jamaica Plain and go, you know, over here. And it's never really centralized to make it feel like this is a big deal. This is something that really matters. It just feels like it's secondary. And I think we need to find that cohesive, whatever it is to build that, that feed that community feel in that, you know, it's, it's pretty tough. You know, we just came from a year and a half of everything being separate everything separate, everything isolation. Um, and my fear is what I kind of see now too, is that things were going to go back to the way they were after COVID, you know, like they were going to go back to how it was before that, you know, people not really understanding that we need some substance in these things we do and just don't go out and have these empty, nothing moments of just a bunch of people. I feel like this should, people should definitely value the times and opportunities now 
And I don't want us to lose that as a city. You know, when you do an event, make it count because tomorrow isn't promised. Have you not seen that? Have you not seen, you know, what we're in the middle of right now and whether you choose to see it or not, Delta variant coming back or whatever COVID part two could be. We don't know week to week, you know, what our circumstances are going to be. You know, if you pick up a move and you do an event and you go, okay, I did an event. And then three weeks later, they say, okay, knock on wood, you know, the city shut back down for four months. And now all moments we've wasted an opportunity again, you know? So I think we just got to get together, get that community field and build something that's consistent and has some substance and we'll be fine. You know, you talked about, um, you mentioned, you know, kind of breezed over very quickly some of the, your more recent accolades, um, the, the singing at the, the national anthem in, in the, the, um, the MFA piece. Tell us about how you yeah. ended up performing at the MFA and how did that come about? Because, you know, that normally is not a place where you're doing, you know, live musical acts in, the, in, in, the, in one of the oldest and most uh, important artistic institutions in the city. How did that come about? Yeah. Um, so uh, it's truly an honor. I was super blessed to have the opportunity. Um, during the period of COVID, uh, when everything was shut down, I made the decision to come back to music. Um, I was kind of dealing with a lot of things, you know, a lot of change, breakup, just, you know, life kind of just falling apart. Um, and within my own therapy, I decided to just write it out. I'm just going to write it out in the album. I'm going to get it off me. I'm going to put it out. Um, when I sat down and shared it with Joey, um, he was like, wow, this is crazy. This is like a piece of art. <laughs> it's like, you know, this feels like a film. It feels like a, like a story. We have to really, um, if we're going to put this out, we should do it in a space or a place that really represents art. And so people get an idea of what you're really trying to say. Um, so the first idea was um, maybe we could go in the MFA and just shoot the album cover. Just, you know, maybe, you know, um, we reached out to Makiba, thank her so much for everything she did over at the MFA for us. And um, Joey reached out to her and said, uh, you know, can we go in there and possibly get, you know, an album cover done? And she was like, okay, you know, just shoot over the music. Let me take a listen to it and see, you know, whatever. And she called back and was like, uh, you guys, why don't you guys come shoot something here? Why don't you, you could do more than just take a, a photo here. Um, let's collaborate with you guys, come in and partner up and maybe do an event behind this album that you're creating. And, you know, sat down with, with Rob. I don't want to forget Pro Black either. Uh, Pro Black really had his hand in, in really opening that door and, you know, because he represents himself so well and everything that he does, it was nothing for me to come behind, uh, come behind him and, um, and and represent my art the same way. And we were able to, you know, Joey and Gold and Wes, Dave, um, they got together and, and decided we we're going to shoot this album live um, at the MFA in the uh, private garden and on Juneteenth, um, the first official Juneteenth holiday. And it was the first um, open to the public performance on the live garden at the MFA. Um, and it was a private event. It was a hundred people, um, press and family. And it was beautiful. It was a way for me to really perform. And, you know, like I said, it's performing arts. It was opportunity for me to just really show, um, the artistic side of, you know, creating my album and just using, um, the MFA as the host for my, you know, curated uh, body of work. It just felt so fitting and it was an honor 
to, to, you know, to have that go down. Like I said, you know, a hundred years ago, we couldn't even get in the MFA and, and now it's like, you're performing and it's such a place, you know, for a show that's curated just for you, not for anybody else. And that's the, and that's the thing I'm talking about events for artists that uplift the artists. And it says, you know, you have the support of the Museum of Fine Arts uh, projecting you and putting the spotlight on you as an artist, not for what we want to do, but for what you're doing and how it feels like it represents the city within the arts um, and the art community. Um, it was amazing. It's an honor. I'm so grateful to be able to do it. Um, so thank you to everybody, Makiba and everybody over at the MFA. So grateful for that. Um, Red Sox game. Um, that came maybe a couple weeks later. Super, super amazing. Um, you know, shout out to uh, everybody, you know, over at Red Sox and Spark FM and R&B and Chill, Jay, for um, reaching out to me and, and asking me to do the uh, national anthem at the Red Sox-Yankees game on Friday night. Um, amazing experience. It was a bucket list thing for me. Um, when, I, when I told myself I was coming back to music, I had a few things that I was like, I want to do before you know, it's all done. And within weeks of writing that list, I got a phone call about doing almost down to the T exactly what I had on my bucket list, which was to sing the national anthem at a Red Sox Yankees game. The only difference is I wanted it to be in the playoffs, but the playoffs are coming. So you never know what could happen, but I'm excited that I got a chance to do it and, you know, and to represent the city the way I did. Like, that's what it's all about for me. Um, I never want to leave here without taking the city with me. Yeah. I don't care where I go because I understand the beauty of being from here. And if I wasn't from here, I don't think I'd be the artist that I am. You know, um, I hear a lot of people tell me all the time when they hear my music, you know, the, le the less of the ballad more uh, side of the music, they go, it sounds like you're rapping, but you're singing, but it's just this weird kind of style. And I'm like, you know, I'm so hip hop. I don't think you understand that I grew up in Roxbury and hip hop is all over me. It's just, I couldn't listen to it in the house. Cause I would, you know, my parents wasn't having that, but this is, this city has made me who I am. It's such an influence. So, you know, I got, I got, you know, Fred Hammond and everybody's blasting in the house all day. But as soon as I leave, you know what I'm saying? As soon as I leave, I'm putting on my, the latest and greatest. You feel me? So that's, you know, that's the beauty of, you know, being able to do that and look up on a jumbotron and see my name up there and my, have my eyes closed and be like, I didn't just do the anthem, but I'm from the city. I'm from right. I could walk home if I really felt like it, you know, to where I grew up at and where I lived. And it's, it's, it's amazing to just be from here. I, I love my city and I'm always going to represent my city the best way I can. It's like, come on, no weapon. You know, I, I know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> look, no we, I, look, do we need, look, I'm not going to start, but um, and it's interesting, you know, as you talk about performing at these like cultural destinations, you know, Fenway Park, the Museum of Fine Arts. You, you spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, kind of what battling that imposter syndrome is like. How do you step fully into your artistry, into your craft while also, you know, putting aside some of the, the little voices that you might have in your head that might tell you that you, you know, maybe you're not ready or maybe it's not your time. Any recommendation or any thoughts mm. for other creatives, entrepreneurs and artists who are out there listening or folks who might just need a little inspiration on how to uh, really grow in their artistic journey? Absolutely. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me when I started in music, I didn't physically look like this. Um, I was 400 pounds my entire adult life. So this is all brand spanking new, right? Brand spanking new within the last four years. Um, that alone 
was probably the biggest barrier, not for me, but for people. I love the space where music is now and just, you know, society as a whole. Image really doesn't matter that much anymore. And I'm glad that we're kind of healing from that. I think the idea of what an artist should look like has changed completely. You can be whoever you want to be at this point. And I think artists, you need to understand and you need to know that. You can be whatever you want to be. There is no rule. There's no, it's your art. The goal isn't to emulate what looks good already. It's to give somebody else something to look at. That's how you can gauge whether you actually enjoy something or not. You know, if I say I like cheese pizza and then five people come and bring me another five cheese pizzas, like what's the point? No, your job was to, okay, maybe bring a slice of pepperoni in the next time and give me the option to say, oh, that's not that good. And then the next slice could be cheese. And I'd be like, well, that cheese is better than the first cheese I had because I had something different. Please don't get lost in my analogies of what I'm trying to paint here. But I'm just saying that we get, we're so numb because we keep getting the same thing from everybody. Everybody's trying to do the same thing. That's not the goal. And that's why I said, I don't want to be known as a, a singer. I don't want to be known as a songwriter. We have to start to become artists. And you allow yourself to find whatever it is in you that makes you unique and makes you special because there is a lane for you. There is, there's, we just, we don't know that we like different stuff because we're not getting different stuff, you know? And that's the confidence to artists. You have to be, you have to be confident to say, I'm just going to do something totally different. Um, this album that I created this, this time of this, this audio book on lies is what I call it. Um, it's, it's literally 10 layers of heartbreak just said differently because, but I needed the focus to be on something because I know that everybody's not doing one album on one particular subject, but we need to start to like, you know, capsulate these things, leave it there, then go do something else. Then maybe after that, I'll do another project and I'll continue to grow as an artist. And then maybe 10 years later, somebody will go back to that original art and listen and go, I understand what he was trying to do. But if you can't get over that hump of trusting your gut and knowing that you being an individual is what's going to push this culture and what's going to grow this culture. And we don't need more of the same thing. I promise you, we don't need more of the same thing. We don't need radio stations and shows that only play the same 10 songs all day long with five old school songs and three new songs, you know, all the time we need options and we need different flavors. And that's the spice of life. Um, so I hope we can get to that. Um, yeah. Did I answer your question? I hope I did. No, it was great. Thank you. Great. <laughs> yeah, you're right on point. I, I, you know, a lot of the work that we do, or well, not even beyond the work that we do, I, I often wonder if the challenges for, for Black and BIPOC artists in the city of Boston are, are accelerated beyond their peers and in, in from different groups. And I... And I wonder if that's, what are some of the challenges that you face um, as a black artist coming from Boston? Is it, is it something that you see the challenges more outside the city or is it something that, are there particular challenges that you face in the city? Where to go? I think that's the biggest challenge. Like, what do you have access to in the city if you're a black artist from here independently? Where do you, mm. what do you have? Where can you go of uh, somewhere of stature that has that says I can go here and I have access to this when I need to go do something. We just don't have that. It, and then you know, thank God for the 
the places in the inner city and are, you know, whether maybe in Roxbury or, you know, a place in Dorchester or somewhere in Jamaica Plain that will allow you to come in and, and perform, but it's really not for you. It's for them. So, you know, we don't, we don't have that access. We don't have a go-to venue. Um, like I said, that had, that, that has that respect and notoriety that we have access to. They're just not, they don't want to book me. They don't want to book because They don't want the crowd that follows or what they think will follow. And they don't understand, they don't understand or appreciate the artistry enough to everything is coming second hand. Oh, you could sing. Okay. But if I'd rather get this artist because I know that it's safe and I know that what crowd, crowd is going to bring. And I know I don't have to police that, you know, we've always struggled with that, you know, just, you know, just being black and, you know, having, anything just in the club scene you know if you look at the club scene over the years it's never really been good for black club promoters you know in the roxy whatever area down there in the part of the city right downtown because every time after two whatever something was going on and it's too big of a tourist cities that where you know they don't want that look um of what it seems that you know comes along with booking a black artist um in such a, you know, such a prominent area where they don't want that. They don't want that look down there. And that's, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, but uh, again, the more that the artists start to create that community feel, even if we have to do it in the smaller sections of the city and make it bigger, they won't have a choice but to really see it for what it is and, and see us for the fact that, you know, this art does need to be showcased and represent the city this way because times and things are changing and the city does need an overhaul for the way that it treats, you know, as black and brown, you know, you know, people uh, of the community. So if you could change two things hmm. for, for artists in the city of Boston, state of Massachusetts, what would they be? What are, what are the two things you would, if you could wave a magic wand and these two things happen, what would they hmm. be? Oh man, I would want the city to offer a space and a place where artists could go and make a career and living off creating art and, and make it financially beneficial for the artist. So the freedom to create without the pressure of finances, like a nonprofit for artists that come in and finance everything for the artist so that the financial piece isn't responsible to them, that they can create freely. I think if that was available in the city, you would see some of the greatest art ever created because 90% of the time, artists can create because they broke. Interesting. Can I ask why a nonprofit, Amandi, when we think about- It could be for-profit. It could, it could, I, I just- I'm I'm just thinking off the cup. I didn't, I wasn't I wasn't expecting to get that question. So I just I'm just I'm just shooting from the gun. I don't I really don't care where it, come, it would come from. Um, I just think I just know that that's one of the biggest barriers. You know, I don't think, and I think it's from an artist perspective. I don't think the artists understand how much money it takes to actually be an artist and to really get your music out there because it is a business at the end of the day. And as much as we're passionate and as much as we care about what we're doing, um, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, um, unfortunately, um, 
the, the money gets you access where you can't go. And these artists, you know, don't worry about holding on and copyrights and this, that, and other. Nobody's stealing your stuff, man. It's not, it's not that no one's made that much money off you yet. It's, it's such a scarce, you know, again, the music industry is a business, not for the artist. You understand what I'm saying? So the artists put their heart and soul and their everything into creating it and they put their all. But if you don't get a return on the investment as the artist, you, you die and fizzle out. The label and everything continues to go. They're, they're kind of betting on house money. Now, just imagine if you put your all and you take all your money and you work and you're spending it to, uh, for studio time, sending it to get mastered. You're paying to get your songs put on, added on playlists. You got to pay the venue. Like some of the venues in Boston, you have to pay to perform. Artist comes here. You want to open up for the artist. You got to pay to get on the bill to open for the artist. Why does that happen? Why does that happen? That's not the way. It's, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Any any event of substance where an artist with a big name would come here, how do you get on the bill? That costs money. And if that's the business, that's the business. But there needs to be somewhere. That can't be the ultimate handcuff on why artists can't showcase their work. You know, there has to be a place that says, go in here, create freely. You know, I'm seeing like sound labs and a couple of things. I'm not fully aware. I think there's something down um, in Roxbury now, right there on Mass Ave, by 1010 Mass Ave, that studio that's over there. I think that's more of like, it's supposed to be for artists and spaces they can come and rent out, like, you know. Okay, you're talking about the record company. That's the record company, yeah, yeah. The record company is a great organization. Um, yeah. Nonprofit recording studios and, and rehearsal spaces. So uh, it's, it's yeah. as I'm hearing you discuss what, you're, what you envision, like, yeah. Take a trip down to the record company. Yeah, and right. I actually, I did, I did, a, I recorded there actually over COVID. That's why I remember the space. And then when I did something, I like kind of back reading up on them. I remember at the time, I was like, wow, this, this space is, this is like a four, eight artist space and it looks really good in there. I'm like, I'm looking into multiple rooms and I'm like, this is where, you know, hopefully to God, you know, things get better and we continue, you know, to get in a healthier space, but where, 10 or 15 artists can be in a building together, just creating room to room, like the stuff that happens outside of the city. Like when I go to Atlanta where I met, you know, I was in a studio with Brian Michael Cox. He was, he was doing a record on Mario and I walk in and he goes, Oh, where are you from? You're from Boston. Okay. Well, why don't you do the background arrangement on this song? We'll come back. They leave the room for an hour, but at the same time, when they leave, Rodney Jerkins is in one room. RL's in another room. You got um, the lead singer from, you know, from, you know, whatever in another room. I'm like, how's all these people in one space at one time? And they are all at the peak of what they do at the time, you know, but we don't have that. We don't have those spaces where we can go and everybody just, you know, that's what I think is missing. And, you know, if they're starting to do it, that's what I want to push forward. And, and I hope that it does come there because, the art needs to be shown and, and lack of funding shouldn't be the reason why it can't be on both sides, whether it's coming from whatever organization or it's just, I don't have the money to be able to, that should never be an excuse for why you can't do something, especially when it comes to the arts.
And looking forward, you know, we've talked a little bit about the past of, you know, what the arts and culture sector, the music scene has looked like here uh, in the age of TikTok and all these Instagram remixes. Mm. And, you know, like I think you spoke a little bit about that mashups and things of that nature. Mm. What excites you about the future of the music scene here in Boston and Massachusetts and the industry at large? And uh, what are you working on in terms of getting towards that space? Yeah, um, like I said, I'm excited about the fact that like the, the industry is super, super independent right now. You know, it's independent and the indie artist drives everything right now. Um, and it's not, you know, I know this whole time we're talking about like, you know, it's about where you're from, but we've seen that it's not that important anymore about where you're from. You know, the, the, the internet and all these things is making the world so much smaller. And, you know, um, you know, for myself, you know, just getting back into music and getting ready, gearing up to put out my album, Lies We Tell, which drops on August 23rd. Um, I put out singles recently and I see that my biggest audience is in Germany. It's amazing to be able to look at the analytics and see that now. It's something that you couldn't see, but now just on a smartphone, you can look and see like, there's five people in Canada listening to me right now. There's four people in Turkey that added my music to a playlist yesterday. And, you know, and it shows on Spotify as an artist that I'm from the city of Boston. You know, it's a beautiful thing that, you know, all these social media tools are really, you know, shrinking the world and allowing you to, to touch people in places that you normally couldn't get to. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about to see, you know, Boston is definitely on the map, whether it's um, Coyle Ray, whether it's Bia, whether it's, you know, all these artists that are really blowing up from here. Um, I think it's just really great that, I, you know, especially like somebody like Bia. I've known Bia since she was in high school, you know, and, you know, we used to talk back in the day, you know, about, yo, like she was semi raps, you know, back then. And then you see like, someone's progression over time where like the confidence and the style and the everything is just there. I think that's beautiful. And, you know, I, I hope and pray to do the same thing with my art in my own lane, in my own way, um, because something this different is necessary and it's beautiful on its own. And it doesn't just because one person is on, doesn't mean there's not room for another. And I, I feel like we're growing in that way and it's happening and I'm happy to be a part of it. And I'm excited for the album to drop and um, for the city to hear it. Well, listen, man, I, I appreciate what you brought uh, to this conversation. I appreciate what you brought to our, our, our piece one night in Boston. It was incredible. People have people stop me all the time. Who's that guy who started it off? <laughs> so, I loved it. it and I'm looking thank forward you. to seeing so much more from you, man. So thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. I'm so excited. It's an honor. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, ladies and gentlemen. This is another episode of the Good Trouble Podcast. Where we bring you incredible folks with incredible conversations. Uh, we'll see you next time.